about to hear part two to this episode of climate mayhem if you haven't already go listen to part one to get the full story which means we need growth also in innovation invention new ideas which takes this massive amount of investment that we need today i mean entrepreneurs inventors deserve to be able to make a living if they come up with the next big solution to these problems i i Obviously, wholeheartedly agree, but see where that's going. You know, interestingly enough, in our little pre-conversation, you talked about this idea of interest rates going up. <laughs> like we've hit this 40-year mark where we've stopped the decline of interest rates and, and possibly are back on the incline of interest rates for a while. Arguably, in the capital markets, that's an opportunity to make money. So how do we balance this idea of it curbs spending, yes, but banks make more money, yes. Like, how do we start to align these wild incentives that are starting to happen with these big pressures and these big challenges that we need? I know we were talking about we're just starting to think about this, but technically, in a capitalistic market, this is an opportunity to make money. This is an opportunity for energy, you know, people's greed and, and innovation and ambition to be fueled. How do we take advantage of that maybe? Or yeah. how do we think about that differently now that we're seeing this, the beginnings of this potentially? Yeah, to kind of add some context to that, a lot of the kind of analysts that I follow are talking about like 2022 being the beginning of somewhat of a potential new era where mm. for the past 40 years, we've had like interest rates have been you know considerably higher than right now at different times but they've been on a general sloping downward trend from kind of the 1980s uh, up until the present and that with the covid crash of interest rates or like kind of the dramatic drop in them with the fed's response mm -hmm. to say like oh my god the world's falling apart let's make money as cheap as possible so we avoid like right. the greatest recession ever that could actually represent the nadir of that process and where we would potentially see, especially now with inflation, basically becoming an issue for the first time since the 1980s, that we would actually yeah. see that the Fed start to take more of an approach to keep interest rates, maybe not consistently going up, but at a consistently higher level rather than a downward trend that we've mm -hmm. been getting. And that downward trend has led to, you know, had a lot of focus. You like you could argue this is like why we had the tech boom of the 2010s was because Absolutely. you had, it was like, pretty hard to get a return that the type of returns that like large investors were looking for outside of kind of risky or higher bets you'd go further yeah. out on the risk curve to be right. able to get access to those type of returns so it's going to be a pretty interesting question i mean if that's true that we're entering somewhat of a brave new world when it comes to interest rates that we haven't seen in the last 40 years in an inflationary environment i could see ways that that could be bad for like the climate movement or, mm -hmm. you know, if you have cheap capital, there's generally more of it and we just need lots right. of capital. Like that's right. just like- mm -hmm. <laughs> And, and in the invention level. phase, in the invention phase or the, the like, you know, big idea phase, you need cheap capital, right? You need capital that someone's willing to risk now for big future returns. 
But if I can make a crap load more money on just putting it in, you know, something safer, right? They may treasuries. not take that bet. Yeah, exactly. Because interest rates are so high, I may not, I may not take that risk, right? Yeah, that's an interesting. Yeah, or you'd have to structure it differently. Um, right, right, right. In that regard, you know, I, I think some of the things that could be favorable for this is like, you know, growth growth industries are not going to go away. It's not like like the VC industry is going to dry up uh, and go right. away. It might have fewer dollars plug into it. But with the tech layoffs that are happening right now, like that's going to be one of the best things for climate tech because all Absolutely. these people are being like, all right, well, my golden handcuffs just came off. So to your point of needing to invent and build, you have all these people that are kind of this massive flood Absolutely. of new talent that is kind of, kind of coming into us and saying like, all right, that's the shove out the door that I needed. I yeah. think that the other thing too is it's going to be interesting to see what happens in energy markets because about one third of historic inflation has been due to the rising cost of extracting fossil fuels. And this makes sense when you think about it. Fossil fuels is the proverbial fruit on the tree being plucked or being picked. <laughs> you pick the lowest hanging fruit first, which is yeah, the, yeah. the easiest to access, the easiest to find, the easiest to mine. You know, this is why things like horizontal drilling and fracking, which are much more expensive ways of doing it, um, but like we're able to, that, that's much higher fruit at the tree than like the type of oil we were getting in 1920. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of rising cost of extracting this like ever more expensive, more complicated types of oil and fossil fuels has been passed down through the rest of the fossil fuel power economy, which is the economy up until yep. this point. Totally. Renewable energy, on the other hand, is not an extraction problem. I mean, it slightly is for certain resources like silicon, but it's fundamentally right. a manufacturing problem. And then like a land use and trans and a transmission problem. And those are solvable. And a storage actually, problem. Yes. And, and then a storage problem. And all of those kind of have the opposite where I was listening to a Bill McKibben podcast and he just like put this really well, where when we extract coal versus like when we extract lithium or a battery. So you blow off a mountaintop and you like pull out a bunch of coal. To use it, you light the thing on fire <laughs> that you pulled out, and it goes away, and then you have to go find more of it. Versus yeah. with lithium, you put it into a battery, and you use it again and again and again and again and again right. for like right. 20 years, and then there's better and better technologies to like recycle it and refresh it to right. use it again. So it's why a lot of kind of renewable energies in this world of technology, like the, that type of powered future could be either much less inflationary or in some ways potentially deflationary as you could have the lowering costs of energy from what it's historically been coming in. So I know it's a bit of a long Yeah, no, I, it was a long-winded question. It was a, you know, this future thinking and I think kind of relevant to what's happening right now question. I, I, I think it takes, it's going to take a lot more exploration. On this note, though, as we were thinking through Carbon Collective and what you're building, you know, I think arguably most of these wealth investors, you know, whether it's this future of high interest rates or 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 whatever, wherever we end up going, their goal to some degree is to be this like, you know, control a huge group of assets, right? A massive amount of money you create, become this market maker where you're driving decisions and movements. 
how do you, how does Carbon Collective not get a, you know, a billion assets under management and not become evil? <laughs> that's a great question. You you had talked about what's a question I never had been asked before. That's one of them. Yeah. Thinking out loud, it's kind of, there's like a baked in assumption there of does money or power fundamentally corrupt? Yep. Uh, you know, do we all turn into like Darth Vader basically? Right. Right. <laughs> um, uh, from that. I think like what's interesting here is, is that we're not starting from this perspective of, what we're doing is fundamentally at odds with making a lot of money. Mm -hmm. It's uh, instead saying like, we believe that over the long term, this is going to be a way to deliver outsized returns. Mm -hmm. um, and that in doing so, and that building our brand in such a way of what do people know that they're coming to Carbon Collective for, the more that we stray from that, the more that our, I would expect that our clients leave and say bad things about us and that could be yeah, like very yeah, yeah. negative to yeah, yeah, what we're yeah, doing absolutely. it's like like i believed in this company and now i don't anymore and i actually yeah. feel betrayed by them and just the yeah. threat of that of that potentially happening like that would be very materially bad for carbon collective and yeah. so I, I think that there's somewhat of a natural check on what we're doing by not saying we're a black rock or who are trying to uh, please all people and all things but we're a carbon collective. We're trying to have a very clear goal on what we're doing and a very clear method of doing it. I think it actually makes it much easier for even your everyday investor to say like, hey, you're not living up to what you said you'd do in this way. What's up with that? And if we don't respond well to that, then I think we pay the price as a business. So in some way, it's- I think it's a, it's great, a, I think it's a yeah. great answer. I'll, I'll admit, I think there is- at that scale, you know, I maybe I should have said trillion dollars instead of billion dollars. But you get a trillion under Matt. You know, the the game I think changes from greed to power, right? Like, as a market maker, you wield power, and arguably even customers love that, right? Like mm -hmm. they they're attracted mm -hmm. to that. But I get what you're saying. Mission driven, and this is the thing. Ideally, it keeps you in check, and you're putting your values forward. I love another thing you said, which is you have this human element of Carbon Collective trying to be the opposite of every other robo-investor, platform investor, investment house out there. Um, I think that's going to keep you held accountable as well. Super interesting. Sorry, Jacob. It's okay. It sounds uncompromisable. Like your guys' mission and like your ethos to the whole thing is no matter what, you'll be stalwart about that. And uh, in some way, that's, you could say uncharted territory. Like I, I, it's hard for me to think of companies that have trillions of dollars or you know are publicly traded, and, and there isn't some controversial like where they had a battle being, you know, greed or being like, uh, man, we want to make a lot of money and we want to serve our mission, right? I, I, I'm, don't get me wrong, I'm sure there's examples. I guess going a little bit further down the path, so, so we've got this five to nine trillion dollar goal per year that we need to hit, invested in sustainability companies, climate tech. So how are we tracking? How are we pacing right now? How do you think we're going to be tracking with the IRA and with climate tech investments venture? Yeah, I mean, the IRA, you know, this is one of Biden's climate bills, uh, could be very, very significant. I read a report that really shocked me that said that because of the significant tailwinds that that bill puts behind the deployment of renewable energy, just like 
if you want to make money, it's just there's a lot of great ways to make money doing that. And yeah, even more yeah. so now that yeah. it could put the U.S. electrical grid on track to between being between 71 percent and 90 percent zero carbon by 2030. Wow. That is not long from now that is really <laughs> fast and it what's exciting about that is that any path to solving climate change in this going forward scenario like it fundamentally has to be through a world powered by zero carbon energy because we're not going to get rid of our cars we're not going to get rid of our stoves or our water heaters so we have to be able to power all of those things without burning something to do it and that's going to happen from the sun it's going to happen from wind it's going to happen from tidal power and energy storage and all of these things all the so things. we as humans are really bad at seeing the rate of transition of new technologies so you know when the first cars were coming out like they sucked <laughs> like early automobiles were and horrible. people didn't like them but, you know a lot yeah. of people you know fought them for sure yeah they yeah. were like really loud and broke all the time and like, like it, i like my horse yeah you yeah. knew what to do with the and horse. uncomfortable right there was no springs there was no rubber on tires yeah they're like rickety dangerous that, yeah yeah where did you get the fuel for it was basically like a toy for rich people yeah yeah, yeah. but it was clearly a superior technology and so we saw the s curve of adoption with it where basically cars ate horse and buggies lunch where the more people who had cars, like the more stables went out of business and the more buggy makers went out of business. Mm -hmm. And so the harder it was, if you didn't have a buggy to be like, oh, my wheel broke or whatever part of a buggy you would have, um, I have to get a replacement one or I have to hire a repair person. Oh, wait, there's like nowhere to get this. Mm -hmm. I, guess I'll, I guess I'll just get a car then so yeah. that's going to be the position that we're in for so many of these types of technologies because of just their superior so it's like in 10 years just the buying landscape is just going to look fundamentally different it's buying an electric car is going to be equally as common as by there's going to be hundreds of models that you can choose from and a lot of them are going to be cheaper than gas-powered cars without tax credits so we're pacing we're pacing good bad like if you gave if you gave it a letter score letter score how are we pacing right now i don't know i don't know how to answer that question like a c okay <laughs> like there's okay. there's definitely Passing, there's definitely not. a lot of positive things and there's like fucking terrifying things like the yeah. fact that we can't we scientists are predicting that like we could have for the past few years been in an artificially low global temperature scenario because we've been in like a series of La Nina back-to-back years and mm -hmm. that we might switch it to like a super El Nino which could <laughs> make us go past one and a half degrees C which is like wow like that's the Paris climate accords right there and that could be next yeah. year yeah yeah that's terrifying yeah. Yeah. well and one of the things that's kind of making me think is that you know the IRA and I'll be honest, the subsidies for companies like Tesla that have been out there for the last few years have kind of shown uh, arguably different than when the car came into existence versus the horse and buggy, right? That was a pure capitalistic venture to some degree. There wasn't this massive government subsidy um, that came into play. It feels, it feels like we need them, I guess is what I'm saying. And so I'm trying to figure out like, what else, if anything, needs to change in this government landscape? Actually, I want to ask before that, I want to ask, is this the right way? 
I was saying last year when I was interviewing people in this space that, you know, we, we arguably just subsidized the most rich, the richest man in the world to become the richest man in the world um, through government subsidies. But we also leapt ahead, you know, a dozen years in EV technology because, you know, we did it. Is that the right way to go about this? It depends on what you look at as like uh, what is right in this. It's politically feasible in today's environment. Yes. We have not seen, to go back to the gas stoves analogy, the government has power to ban things and restrict things. Like I can't buy a bazooka as much (laughs) as I wanted to. I can't legally buy one or a nuclear bomb. Or like high, high emission cars. Yeah. High emission cars. That was a big I, thing. I actually think you can buy a bazooka in Arizona, but it's, it's that's a different thing. <laughs> <laughs> but but you get my point. Like like we yeah, yeah, have a yeah. set precedent, and we can all go to these extremes. And we'll be like, well, of course, the government should allow that. And so mm. if the government, and we've had you know example of California saying like by twenty thirty five, you're not going to be able to like sell high emitting cars uh, there's like different ways that governments could do that but we could be much much stricter uh with that you could put like you know big carrots and also big sticks to like fund the transformation of different economies uh for mm-hmm. it so or different industries so you know it's not like we passed the ira and it's like great like this is it's like oh my god we got something and that something is actually pretty good but yeah. it is, we could have gotten so, so, so much more. It's just, sure. when we look at this political landscape, I mean, this was kind of set up in the some of the original renewable energy credits, that the tax credits that were in solar and wind, which really allowed that industry to take off. We've just seen that the government saying, we're going to give you credits to the private market, but we're not going to like come in with like really onerous restrictions outside of that. That's the best way to get things across. The ways that governments could come in further is, especially in the electrical system, is around transmission. It is really, really hard to build high, uh, to build transmission electricity tra- transmission lines in the U.S. right now. And that is just going to be super needed as we have all these places that are really good for solar that aren't well in your connected with the rest of the grid and stuff like that. We give a lot of rights to landowners in that case. And there's yeah, a yeah, lot yeah. of red tape. I mean, that's why it's hard to construct anything in the U.S. really. Uh, yeah. with that so if there are ways that the government can accelerate the passage of those type of things which is you know you have joe manchin right now calling for like we need permitting reform for pipelines and mm-hmm. for gas you know oil pipelines it's the same thing that is needed for tra- things like transmission lines and there's a part of me and like i don't know i want to look at the numbers but a part of me is like maybe we have to say it'll be for both and then just mm-hmm. trust that the gas pipeline, like they just won't have as many customers for the gas that's right. going through that in right, 10 years right. from now. And just l- let the kind of the market and the superior economics play themselves out here. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But if we wanted, if we if we were taking climate change as seriously as we should, like if it, if it was, if the, if the response was going to be an A plus, it would be worldwide um, bans and transitions uh, away from fossil fuels, like in a very, very aggressive fashion yeah. with a, a mass training and for the people being affected by it super interesting i love the, i love the answer and it definitely argues we need a collective of of movements and changes to make this stuff happen so one last question for me um and then we're going to go into something fun to, to finalize this thing but 
and this is something I'm always, I'm asking everybody. Um, and just so you know, we actually interviewed uh, the founders of Ever.Green that do small solar farms that like plug into the energy grid using kind of, I can't remember exactly how they talked about it. I remember thinking of it as the backhaul lines, basically, that are out in residential or rural areas. Um, so it's smaller solar farms tied into the backhaul. Super interesting stuff. I can't remember how they answered the, the regulatory question, but I know that it hasn't been easy, but they're definitely doing it. So there's some interesting yeah. deals with landowners and, and the grid there that are starting to try to. Yeah, I mean, and that's where innovation happens, like, especially again, because solar is just generally cheaper. Yeah, even within an existing regulatory framework that's imperfect, you're going to have entrepreneurs who are going to see opportunities and go after them. Yep. Yep, absolutely. And that's my question. So what do you think is the next big step change in climate action or sustainability that's going to happen? I think it's, I just, I, I come back to electric cars. I don't think we're talking, like, they've had a lot of hype, but I just still think we're not talking about them nearly enough in nice. the way that they are just going to be changing our world. Um, and, and in particular, like, what do you think about it of a, should, like, what's going to happen to oil? And how's oil going to make up that market share? Mm. 50% of the world's oil goes into road transportation, five zero. Like that is a huge amount of their historic yeah. market share that is going to be transitioning to a superior technology that doesn't need them. Yeah. So I think that that is going to be really dramatic. Um, Love it. Yeah. Love it. I just looked, I looked up a I'll stat. Just, go ahead. The stat, yeah. We actually had someone from EVGO come on and he was talking about there's some sort of tipping point that you start to see exponential growth and it's been tracked for other things uh, that have been innovative, innovatively disruptive. And it was, it says in 2022, January, 4.3% of all new car sales were electric. And then it's already now at 7.1%. I mean, that's, that's already to me, a huge jump over 12 months. Right. And then we can yes. imagine that, you know, going to 14, now we're at 28, then we're at, and you know, 10, over 10 50. years ago is right. It was one thousandth of a percent. Right. <laughs> So like we're yeah, we're yeah, in yeah, the yeah. exponential growth curve. And again, it's not rocket science. It's like yeah. everything you like about a car, this technology just happens to do better and it happens to be better for climate change. All right, Jacob, I think it's time. All right. All right. So Zach, we're going to do something. It's really hard, really, really hard. It's called ref mayhem questions. And, uh, okay. you know, you don't have to answer really fast, but definitely got to answer it. We're going to try to try to stump you with, with some some questions in your field. All right. Are you ready? Yeah. True or false? All of them are true or false. All right. True or false? Sustainable investing is one of the rare areas of finance where women are actually well represented. 44% of sustainable investing roles filled over the past five years went to women. Uh, I'm going to go with, as someone who's not a woman, I'm going to go with true on that, especially just the way you you read it out, made it sound very true, unless you change the number. No, you're right. <laughs> you're right. No, uh, totally right. Yeah, that has a cool background it. to it, too. It's, it's you know, over the past 40 or 50 years, sustainable investing, you know, slowly. Well, cool is the right word. It's a little bit inspiring. Of a, um, well, 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 coincidental, uh, I guess you could yeah, say yeah. in some way. Money managers were often. Uh, men and uh they they scoffed at like sustainable investing they're like oh like let's let's leave that thankless task to to women and so they handed it off and it was like kind of a common pattern within finance 
And as a result, instead of it being something like 16% of it said, for example, chartered financial analysts were female, it was nearly three times that in the process wow. by the end. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. True or false? Global sustainable investments were at just over 25 billion USD in 2018. Is this publicly traded? E, let's say yes. That's false. I think that seems that feels low to me. You were right. You were right. Mail. It said it was about 30, 30 billion. I think at 30.8 billion. Okay. And I, now it's definitely, Chad GPT told me it was 35 billion, but that's, you know, September 2021 numbers. And I'm like, yeah, it's like, we'll see what it's like it. now. Okay. All right. right. All right. You're doing good. Number three, true or false, sustainable and socially conscious funds have grown to nearly 400 by 2020. The number of individual funds? The number, yeah. By 2020? By 2020. It's considerably higher than that now, but I'll, I'll go through. Correct. Correct. Nice. All right, you're, you're on fire. Last nice. one. Nailed Last it. one. The term impact investing was actually coined by Bob Iger back in 2007. He used it to describe the desire of up and coming generations to avoid supporting industries that compromise their values. There's a lot. I, I feel like my gut is saying niggling on this. This is there's something in there that's false, but I'll go with true for it. No, it is it is actually false. It's actually false. It it is it was the Rockefeller Foundation. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Has taken the credit for it. I can link it in the I, show notes if I would have given Bob. I would have given Iger that too. I mean, the guy's a marketing genius. Like I'm sure he's coined mm. many mm. of our terms. So interesting. Smart time. All right, you did three well, out of four. Man, you you did it. great. Yeah, you did not um, get no, stuck at it's all. That's a no. C. Yeah, I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> Only because the number, like you would have done. <laughs> yeah, well, like, usually at this point we say, oh, your climate change is so big, people feel helpless. What can a listener do? I actually want to take it a different direction. Yeah, You've said in past podcasts, you recommend big gears, broad yeah. strokes. Why do you recommend that? And what would be the single big gear you recommend for our audience? Yeah, so when you're an individual, Thinking about climate change, we're all born into a world run by fossil fuels. What do I do about that? Mm -hmm. A lot of different actions you can take. The way we like to think about them is what's an action that I have to put brain power into every day, which is like, what do I buy at the grocery store? Mm. Every single time I go to the grocery store, I have to think about that versus an action you do once and then you never have to think about, about again. For example, how do I source my electricity? After that, you just turn the light on. You're not like, oh, do I do I want today for it to be from solar power or not? Mm -hmm. um, and so right. to us, when as a way of kind of a hierarchy of thinking about those types of actions, we generally like to say, start with that latter category of the mm -hmm. questions that you can pick up. And they're not necessarily easy. It's easier to just be like, well, I'm not going to buy the chicken today, the grocery store. <laughs> but... Once you make the really big question, the the big the bigger change, then you're just living your life, and so, and so from that, yeah, I mean, I'll I'll say the you know one that's most relevant to us is on your finances, whether it's where you bank or where you invest in these savings. You generally, you know, you just change where you bank, and then you just bank, or you change where your retirement money is. Set it and just, forget it. Exactly. So that would be, uh, uh, you know, maybe in somewhat of a self-involved way, say, uh, that's the action I would recommend. Although there's others around electricity or driving or heating your water and stuff like that. 
Excellent. I love it. And that's a great explanation. I did not think of it that way when I first heard it. That is a much better way of thinking about it. This like, because you, you know, I think a lot of people have talked about it, but you've also talked about it on podcast, the decision fatigue, right? And I think even the feeling of sacrifice, to your point, if I'm going to the grocery store and I have to think of the thing that's not plastic, that's not meat or whatever, right? Like yet again, you're having to make that decision again. And that's just going to lead to decision fatigue. Huge. And so, yeah, those set it and forget it. Those big one-time purchases, big one-time decisions, then you can live your life. Powerful. I think it's a great way of thinking about it. I dig it. And it's not that you shouldn't do the little ones. It's just do the big ones first. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and Jacob's question is, our question has always been, what's the one thing like that anybody can do? Let's do one. Let's do one. Let's just make it a big one that you don't have to think about again. I like it. That's a great way of thinking about it. On that note, I want to, we want to end with where we can find you and I'd love for you to go ahead and give a plug around Carbon Collective and and being investing there. Um, We talked about a lot of cool things. I'd love to land on using Carbon Collective, the platform, how people can get involved and how they can find you. Perfect. Yeah. If you're an individual or family that is looking for help, particularly with your retirement savings, uh, but anything like that, we're real people who work on as you can tell, like real, real, the real questions of sustainable investing. So if you're looking for that type of help, you can go to carboncollective.co. And if you're also a business or a nonprofit that is looking for help with your 401k, um, that's been a very fast growing part of our business where we've been able to provide a lot of value even beyond sustainable investing, but even to just like basic financial education. So all of that carboncollective.co. And what about you? Do you write? You're out there. Do you want people going to your, you on Twitter, anything to find I'm you? I'm out there. I'm like, you can find me on like LinkedIn, but come and subscribe LinkedIn, to our newsletter. That's going to be the best way uh, to see my writing. So you could just go ahead and find that. If you're not ready to sign up yet, but you want to get a little bit of flavor of how we think and what we're like, um, just go to our website, uh, sign up for the newsletter. It comes from me, real person, hit reply, Love real it. person. Is there a new URL for that, by the way? I could send you one. Okay, that'd be great. Because I, I actually made an account. By the way, I and I yep. my my account is pending and I went the extreme route. I was like, I'm gonna be the high risk, you know, 90% climate investments, 10% safer stuff. I really appreciate you guys have this unique mix of you know, you guys are educational, you guys are friendly and human, you you keep it simple, which is hard to do with money. I'm still arguably gonna be making money because I am making that bullish bet on the future and climate tech and innovations doing better. And then you guys also have this kind of nice mix of, you know, through talking to you so much, like it's, it is progressive. It is like, I like the climate activism part. That's radical. Thank you. I guess I just wanted to say thanks. And I'm, I'm really loving what you guys are doing. I'm definitely excited to have my account be open. So honored to have you as a member. And how was that experience, Jacob? So what'd you do? You went to chirocollective.co? It was, it was ridiculously easy. It was, it was like easier. I have a wealth front. It was even easier than that. You know, along the way, they capture some structured data but it's like very just like one question at a time i don't have to share a ton of information it doesn't take me you know 20 minutes i swear the whole thing took me maybe like seven minutes and then you guys are working with a company called altruist so it's kind of a seamless experience of it it's like you know you have carbon collective as the face and then altruist is the actual process system and then altruist syncs up with carbon collective so then you would ultimately i think log into carbon collective where you get kind of that like you want to keep on educating yourself and you want to go see how your account's doing 
and be in touch with the mission of things. I, I think it has that nice uh, chemistry together. Amazing. Amazing. Love it. This has been so fun talking with you guys. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks, Zach. We loved hashing out the big ideas uh, with people like you. Dig what Carbon Collective is doing specifically because we are also, you know, we're, we're fundamentally, you know, entrepreneur loving capitalists that want to help the environment and love that, the, that you guys are, you know, out there driving this conversation as well and this way of thinking um, about this big, huge problem. So been a blast. Thanks, man. Deep, deep thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much. Sir. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks, Ty, Jacob. Bye, guys. See ya. Bye now. Boom. How was that? Well, there's more. So keep listening. We speak with climate tech leaders and change makers in EV, reforestation, solar energy, flood mapping, and a whole lot more. Also, you can give feedback or check out show notes at our website, climatemayhem.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Oh, don't forget, if you found this valuable or interesting at all, please hit subscribe. That way we know you're loving it. So just go to Spotify or whatever podcast app you're on. Hit that subscribe button at the top. Production was done by Daniel Steenkamp with cover art by Harrison Glenn. This is Jake Kubica with my legendary colleague, Ty Wolf motherfucking Jones. Peace out, Climate Mayhem. Out. Out.